This is the Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9. Felt like, can you open on that? This is the Anfield Rap City Talk 105.9. Um, Jose Mourinho came 2004. Say what you like about him. He looked like he would have been a cracking pint. Right now, there's no one in the league I'd rather not go for a pint with Johnny. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> 2004, Jose, there'd have been attractive women flocking around. There might have been jokes. It might have been occasionally unpleasant, but then there'd have been a bit of edge. Right now, he just feels like all he wants to do is go and have a sleep. He'd be your last text, wouldn't he? You know, oh, got yeah. Friday night, you're absolutely desperate. You're like, shall I? Shall I, or, or shall I just stay in? I'd rather go on my own. I'd, I'd rather, rather go on my own. He, I, he, he, do you know, did he bring you down? Oh, God, every single time he opens his mouth, it gets more... You're in the European Cup semi-final, you could <laughs> win the league. Come on, man, you're killing me. It's meant to be a laugh. Even his coats aren't as good anymore. His coats are nowhere near as good. So it's a big, big move, this. Jose Mourinho has ultimately become effectively someone's dad, uh, as opposed to when he was a vaguely sexy uncle. Speaking of sexy uncles, Rob Gutman's in. Uh, we've also got Jim Boardman. He's right. Uh, we've got Rory Smith in part two, and we'll be talking about Liverpool and Chelsea in part three opening question before then who would you like to see come up from those who can't come who can still come up through the playoffs in the championship those options are I think mathematically Derby, QPR, Wigan Reading, Brighton Nottingham Forest Ipswich or Blackburn Rob Gutman I have no doubts on this one it's Brighton by a country mile why is it Brighton? Um, because I have fond memories of the place um, one of my best friends was at a university in Sussex and I spent many many fond hours in fact it's one of the one of the, one of the two places in the UK I've been arrested in <laughs> and, what's the second and uh, Liverpool okay. uh, I won't go into that but I spent a night in the cells in Brighton and uh, I didn't do it by the way, <laughs> by the way folks I was, uh, I was innocent and framed uh, I can confirm that no court case ensued but it was uh, yeah I have a lot this, of fond memories is this another one of those one of those Liverpool away games where in you're making not just a weekend but seemingly a week of it oh yeah 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 it's, it's leaving Las Vegas for me it's, it's Hunter S. Thompson's Territory, yes. <laughs> uh, Jim Boardman, where what would you want to see come up? I can't top that now. Can I have no chance? I'm just going to say Derby County because I said them last time we asked this, we got asked this question, and you <laughs> you're know, not, not consistent. Just, just, you know what I mean? I just don't want to break anything at all. You know, uh, John Gibbons. <laughs> I, I want. I want to say Brighton just to see what happens to Rob. I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Rob, Rob, you know, offers often offers me a space in his car to these sorts of uh, events. I do and, that, don't and, I? And for this yeah. one, for this one, I'll probably be saying it. But <laughs> it's a long drive, John, a long drive. Oh, that's fine. That's Can fine. Can we take a film crew with us if he does? Poor <laughs> 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 old Joe. Joe, we're going to Brighton for the week. Yeah, Joe, or certainly Joe's, Joe's uh, Liam, who's a blue. <laughs> uh, go on. I will say Forrest just to see what Mike Nevin does. Oh, of course, Forrest just to see what Mike Nevin does. Okay, okay. Uh, we're going to go very, very fast this week. We all want to get to the proper football. We all want to talk about coaching. We all want to get involved. But we're going to, uh, before then, we're going to have to do uh, fixed investments, i.e. Liverpool's ground development. Um, the economic argument for a ground development, Rob Gutman, it's become increasingly muddy in recent years. Yeah, it was a, it was a holy grail we bought into. I forget where it started, but it was in the Moors era. Um I was I was pleased and relieved to hear John Henry come out about this, I think 18 months ago, where he said, hang on a minute, why do we need to build an entire new stadium just to gain 20,000 more seats and spend f- half a billion pounds doing so? And now we've, and he, he realised that, that the economics didn't stack up. We're now where we are. And I, I'm, just, I'm just happy we're getting, getting to a point where, A, it can be done, B, it can be done at a reasonable cost to the club, and I think, C, that it can be done within a reasonable time frame. Uh, Jim Boardman, why build 20,000 more seats? Build 20,000 more because people like me can't get a ticket for Sunday. That's my per- totally selfish argument to build more seats. But it's not just me. It's people from around the world who, who, who see Anfield now, maybe as a once-in-a-lifetime or maybe once-a-year trip. It's not just local. We've got so many different kinds of fan now, and I, I know... 
with all the lads we met in Australia last year, there's people here who need to see Liverpool because it's a privilege to get to go to that game and not enough people are getting to go. The only trouble is, obviously, it's going to cost money to build 20,000 seats. Uh, John Gibbons, it's uh, there's conflicts. The conflicts have changed. I always thought that the conflicts would be, you know, the, the, I thought the battleground was very much a corporate battleground and economic arguments in order to increase it. It appears to now be primarily an access conversation uh, with reference to the actual benefits for Liverpool Football Club. Well, it, I mean, it depends who you, who you're listening to and, and who's making the arguments. I think I think John Henry sent sent us an email, which was quite nice from about a year ago, where he took, where he discussed not just how getting it's not just about getting people in the ground; it's the value per seat. And he and he did he did his own calculations. Well, I don't know if he did all the adding up or someone gave it to him, but he did the calculations, which shows that that. The, the reason why Liverpool are so far behind in terms of matchday revenue is not just because we have less people in, it's because of the, the value per seat is is, 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 is substantially lower. I think at the time it was about £800 for Liverpool and about 1400 for United. So it's interesting in this main stand redevelopment, there's all these, the, the middle tier is all corporate and that's presumably going down that route. Um, what's, the whole, what's annoying me slightly about the whole thing is I think I think fifty eight and a half thousand is fine for now. I think, but I don't understand this idea of we'll do the main stand and then we'll wait and see if there's demand and then we'll do the Anfield Road. Surely we know there's demand. That that just seems far too cautious for me. I know people will say, well, to, there was points in in the end of last season where you know you couldn't give tickets away, and it's, it's true it, it did happen. But if you're looking to sell to season ticket holders and you're looking to sell to you know, sell more season tickets. You're looking to sell to more people who, who who live locally, but also to get more people from abroad buying tickets. They will buy them. They will buy them in advance. So it's not a case of having to worry at the end of the season if you've got nothing to play for. John, do you know what I think it boils down to? It, again, it's it's the economic argument. The, what you're describing is the social argument, which is absolutely correct. We and Jim as well. We need we need more fans getting to the game who need to, who want to get to the game. The truth of the matter is is the gap between us and Man United, I think the top earners at the moment, is about 45, 50 million in terms of match day revenue. Now, Liverpool Football Club turned over 200 million in their last published accounts. If you look at the way the TV money's gone up and even sort of average Champions League participation in the group stage, Liverpool will put about 50% on their turnover next year to 300 million. We're beginning to dwarf the, the the maximum possible earnings we can get out of a, an increased ground. So even if we went to match man use levels, which isn't possible because we would have to have an eighty thousand ground and match their price per ticket, um, we still wouldn't. We, we still couldn't get near the earning potential from from commercial uh, commercial merchandise, etc., and TV money. So I, what think I think that's so, why they're not doing it. Yeah, but John, what I think that the reason the main stands the focus is there's enormous corporate element. Yeah, to no, it. I agree. Yeah. Exactly. So the Anfield Road, I don't think you can stick the corporates behind the goal like no. it's the cop, and I think that's why it's been deprioritized. I, I I completely agree with you. I just think that's wrong. I think they've looked at the main stand and say this is where we'll get you know huge amounts of money from. This is where you know the value for ticket higher. Then they've looked at the Anfield Road and thought, oh, do you know what? We'll probably have to give them loads of kids tickets exactly. there and things like that. But I just think that's I think that's wrong personally. I think I don't think we should we should be too worried about selling it. I think we you know, we could think bigger and you know if you, if you if you are struggling to sell, you just think of you know new ways and you try to be innovative with your thoughts and think think of ways. I don't, I don't think it'll be at all necessary. But it just it just seems a little small time to me to say, oh, we'll go to fifty three, and then if there's the demand, they'll go to fifty eight. Just I, create I the demand, create the demand by being dead boss of football. We'd sell more tickets, I think, as well if people knew well in advance that there were tickets available. It's very difficult if you if you've never been to the match before and you want to get a ticket and you go on the website. There's nothing really telling you how to do it apart from sending you off to the sponsor. He'll charge you a hundred quid on top. Basically, there is the membership sale, Jim. But it, the uh, which people... does do it way in advance, and people yeah. are aware of what it yeah. does. But but for people who are coming as one-offs, I mean, there's that kind of fan that's not going to get here. Um, 
But I'm, I mean, do we want it always there? That you know, this I think is we need to this, exploit this, everything that we can get. There's there's so many different fans with so many different ways you can get here, and we need to have as many options open. And on the quiet games as well, that's the time when people can maybe bring the kids along to a match. And and again. To, to quote a song, the children are the future, you know. But we do need we need to get we need to get kids into the game as well. well I mean, the cup games are, are, are doing really well for that, and I think I think Liverpool have been pretty successful in terms of you know having very cheap kids tickets for cup games and things like that. And I think I think the. They're, and they're going to do a young adult price next year for the cup as well, which is a, which is a really good thing. So I think the kid, the, the club, sorry, are doing positive things to to get people in the ground. I just, I'm just, I'm just not sure they're quite thinking big enough in this sense. I think, I think they're being cautious, and I don't think it's necessary. John, I, I you know, the, the, there's two sides to the Jim's outlined the cost benefit analysis to use an old <laughs> '80s uh, a socialist term, actually, um, which is you, you bring in. Um, you bring in the future now that it'll reap, it'll reap the benefits in the long run. I think the problem is the capital expenditure. They're talking, what, $150 million for the main stands. And I think they can see a return on that. As business people, they can see a return. I don't think they're seeing the same level of return. Ethically, uh, socially, you're absolutely right, John, but I think that's the way they're thinking. That well, is, that is, I, I agree with you, but I don't think, that is the, I don't think that's the way they should you be thinking. You think it's short-termist? I think it is as well. And it, it's looking at... It's, it's not just getting people in the ground. It's not just buying them a ticket. It's allowing people greater access to the to the football club, and, and you, you get people's buy in there. And, and you, we, we, yeah, there's there's, there's, a, there's an argument in terms of local fans versus foreign fans and things like that. We've got some American fans in the studio with us now, so I'm not just saying it because they're here and being nice. But you know, the, the greater access you give everyone to tickets, the more they feel connected to the football club, and and the more you know, to be able to grow, you know, people by shirts and things like that. So I just it, it, it baffles me really. Or maybe maybe they just don't want to spend all the money at once. Maybe they want to stagger it in that way. And maybe it's also a, it's a work program thing. And the other thing as well to remember, Jim, is that the we're back to the the conversations about Anfield, the area itself, which is the generation which this is meant to be part of and was always meant to be part of and that's that's where the football club as a whole and this is an FSG argument has gone has made errors I think we can most definitely yeah. refer to them as errors in the past but with this with the idea of a bigger capacity comes the tired arguments but the correct arguments about transport links and transport links are crucial to the regeneration arguments surrounding Anfield full stop but they're also crucial to an increased capacity argument and you can understand despite everything and I say this from someone who's aggressively in Anfield's corner why the football club if it is going to grow and grow and grow the capacity has got a point to turn around to the city and go we're not up for paying for getting these people there as well we're not up for mm. subsidizing that you know you can very much see the football club's point of view there yeah definitely and and it, it's it's a uh, sorting out the transport infrastructure they're, they're talking about in the redevelopment of, of building offices and things so it's not just infrastructure for match days as well if you've got new train lines or, or, or better transport you'd have better facilities during the week when the game isn't on and one thing about Anfield as an area is, is how dead that place is during the week when there's no game on and again uh, you know, for the for the sake of the area, it needs to be something people come to. It needs to be a tourist destination as well, which sounds an awful thing to say. But during the week, that's what it needs to be. People need to think they're coming for a holiday; they can come and see the ground on a Tuesday morning. I completely agree with that. I think that, you know, I think that's a very very valid point. But it's that's a difficult thing to do, isn't it, John? And there is, you know, there's obviously this grey area as to whether why it should be the football club's responsibility. The football club can turn around and say, you know, the primary mover of tourism in, into Liverpool at the moment is football. Why should we subsidise this thing as well as well as doing X as well as doing Y? Yeah, it is. It is an issue, and it's been an issue over the years. It seems to me, from the outside looking in, that the, the club and the council, who are the two main, you know, groups in this, are, are working a lot more closely together than they have been. You know, people seem to be singing off the same hymn sheet a bit to more. Get the stakeholders in the area as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the key thing, and I think generally, I think I think you kind of got to be careful. Where I've seen a lot of people, you know, moaning about landlords who are after the most money for the property, and you've got. 
people people kind of get this idea and i don't know where it's come from maybe it's kind of propaganda that certain people are putting out i don't know that these these greedy landlords who own property are thinking oh, i'll get as much as i can and a hold out you know a lot of the times it's people who just live there and people's just homes people's homes yeah. they've lived there forever yeah. they may be old they may be you know disabled or whatever and they just you know they haven't been offered great alternatives and you know these 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 people it is their home and, and we need to you know we, we all want to see bigger stadiums and everything but you can't forget that you know these people and a lot of them are liverpool fans as well yeah john's touched on this at the end of the day let's if we take we take a step back this the, the football club has contributed an enormous amount to the city as an entity and i think if we think of it as as that entity it it is it's played its part. It really is up to the city council to harness what the football club brings. It's like turning around to the Beatles and going, "Do you know what? Maybe you guys need to put a little bit more back into into Anfield and, and into Everton Valley." No, they've brought it here. The football club's done its bit. Of course, there are some doesn't sub-issues. help the border of houses. Doesn't no, help depressing the area. Doesn't help killing the area economically. Absolute, absolutely, absolutely. Doesn't help twenty minute, twenty years of mismanagement I, of the area. I agree, but the council had to work with the club on that. The, ca- the, cl- but, the but the club, the, the club's bringing a lot FSG to the table. And Club and the two separate things. I, and let's I, be honest about that. I agree, but whatever the ownership model is, quite frankly, the brand. Let's be let's be crude about this. Has delivered an enormous amount to the city. And if any bit, let's but let's imagine Coca Cola said we're going to relocate to Liverpool and we're going to provide half a billion, a billion pounds worth of investment, which is going to provide enormous amount to this city. The council has to find a way of making that work. If Coca-Cola say, but look, we're going to kind of take over this area and there's going to be some collateral damage, let's, let's be crude about it, on some houses. The council have got to find a way around that. It's their job to do that. The, you wouldn't turn... The, if this came from any other industry, you wouldn't turn it down. But the reason why we love this industry is because it's not any other industry. And that's all, you know, to constantly refer football back to being other big business models. We don't want our football clubs to beat. We can't say... That's a romantic... Not least because football clubs aren't big business. The biggest football clubs well, in the world are. are nowhere near as big as the biggest businesses in the world. They're not big businesses in that sense. No, but we also, no, for are. instance, one of the biggest clubs in the world, Barcelona, refers to itself as being more than a club. We want our football club. We can't have it both ways. And want our football clubs to be proper institutions that we feel have got cultural connections mm. to the entirety of city and to a worldwide diaspora on one hand. And then, as soon as it suits us, go well. Actually, what we do want is them for to be is a constant beer moths because we think that makes it easier for our football club for us in the short in the short term. Well, I'm comparing. Let me, let me throw the Beatles analogy throw again. The Beatles analogy the, the, in, but it doesn't work, does it? Because there's art and beauty, and you know. But it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work as an analogy because they're, they're, they're essentially three people who are dead. Or is it three dead? No, two oh, are dead. On, no, two are on, dead. The Mondo Ringo Star. That's um, not the point. That's not the point. I'm talking about the general cultural contribution. There, there, there is social and cultural contribution, but there is also an economic contribution. But it's a live cultural contribution, isn't it? It's a live one in the, t- in the sure, case of the football club. And that's the point, is that Did it's a live see, one with, there was with the a, people who were around. There was a tweet the other day, and I think it was from Visit Britain or something, one of these millions of tourist uh, organisations that you get, and it was trying to get people to Liverpool, and it said, come to Liverpool where there's four Beatles, one great football club, which is great because it gives a bit of needle, doesn't it? But the, the thing is that the football club is the only living, breathing thing after the list that it gave you that you can come and see. That's that's the, the vibrant thing, the thing that you'll fall in love with, like we did. That, yeah, compl- I think... I. Transport links are hard as well. I think. I think. I think people just go and oh, just build a train line like it's that easy. You know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know. It, it's we not... had trams once. You remember they were going to come here. <laughs> you know. I think. I think it, it's the kind of thing that the people makes make sound a lot much easier than it is. You know, they could run more buses. You know, you could do super highway or something. But you know, the other houses are going to have to go there. Yeah. And then you're getting into the same kind of problems. So I think I. I 
I'm agreeing. I'm erring on the side of Robin. That I think it's something the council needs to lead on. The club could have done much more over the years, especially regarding the housing. But in terms of actually, in, in terms of infrastructure stuff, it, the club has to. Sorry, the council has to lead on that. Okay, this is the Anfield Rap City Talk on a five point nine. Going to plug some stuff for you now. Going to mention that Terry Christian is talking about himself in Motel on May the thirtieth. I'm sure he'll be very good at that. Uh, Jimmy and the Revolvers are performing live with support from me and De Bowie uh, at not me. <laughs> <laughs> Something called me and De Bowie at. Uh, the Hayes and a DJ set from Nick Power of the Coral. Uh, I've not put the date on when that That's is. tonight. So, tonight. Uh, so you want to, where is it? It's Studio 2. Good job I'm here, <laughs> It's it? a great job you're here. I haven't forgot it's to write that down. It's a fiver in. Uh, splendid stuff. <laughs> uh, well in, John Gibbons there. Uh, carrying the back of these plugs. Liverpool ladies play Everton uh, tomorrow night at Widnes. Uh, terrific to go down there and watch that. I'll be going. Uh, it's in Widnes. That's the only downer. Uh, Love Follow Conquer have got a new sale on, which is fantastic stuff. Loads and loads of really good Liverpool stuff there. I'm enjoying the plugs at the end of part one. It makes me feel optimistic about what's to come next. Uh, that is Rory Smith. We've got a new magazine uh, of the Anfield Rap magazine that's come out after a one-month hiatus, which you may or may not have noticed. There's loads of fantastic stuff in there. Already getting a lot of love on Twitter, John. Is <laughs> the video from Steve of us have bugged out. Uh, is it? Mashed. Are yeah. people enjoying it? Yeah, seemingly so. I'm I, haven't, I haven't got to the end yet. I'm looking forward to you and Steve really drunk. I'm looking forward to How that. How is bit. this relevant? Uh, me through. It's, uh, we, went, we went to do Bugged Out and we reviewed it for the Anfield Rap magazine. Culture, Rob, all that things you were talking all, about. All the stuff yeah, you were talking about before yeah. that we're doing ourselves, self-sufficient, and we took a video of it. It's Liverpool culture. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> um, and there's lots of other stuff in the new magazine as well. There's reviews, there's articles, there's things on the cover. Um, I haven't read it yet, to be brutally honest with you. I'm making it up. Um, it felt like it was all so long ago, but it will be utterly fantastic, and already people are saying so. And lastly, me and John are writing a book. It's about this season. We want your photographs. Uh, if you can email championselectbook at gmail.com, you can send us through photographs of what's effectively been this crazy season. We want to see you wherever you were in the world celebrating Liverpool goals, celebrating Liverpool victories, and if you're in the ground as well, any action shots that you've taken. We very much want this book to be a book of the people about this journey that we've all been on together. Rory Smith, part two, Anfield Rap, break. The Anfield Rap on City Talk 105.9. It is the Anfield Rap. We're currently discussing nomenclature and what you can and can't get away with on the radio at five o'clock <laughs> on drive time. I'd like to think that everyone stopped doing that now, uh, just in case you get proven to be wrong. Uh, Neil Atkinson, John Gibbons, uh, Jim Bowman, and Rob Gutman, uh, mini audience in the studio as well, which is great. Unfortunately, they can't hear what you can, which is the dulcet tones of the wonderful Mr. Rory Smith. Rory, um, before we get into the football stuff, uh, who would you like to see come up from Derby, QPR, Wigan, Reading, Brighton, Nottingham Forest, Ipswich, and Blackburn? Quite a mess, isn't it? Uh, Derby. Are you going with Derby as well? Jim went with Derby. Derby yeah. Why are you going with Derby? Uh, close to the motorway, good transport links. Um, <laughs> and, uh, all the, all the romantic reasons. Exactly. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think purely practically. No, I, Alan I, Partridge. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are, there are, the genius location is that it is mid, midway between London and Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> Equid- Partridge. Equidistance. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're a proper club, Derby. They're a proper club. They're a Premier League club. Sounds like I'm delighted Leicester are up. Delighted Burnley are up. Uh, I think Derby of that lot would be brilliant. I fear it'll be QPR, which is is good for me practically because it's just down the corner from my house. But um, I, I think that club has been run terribly, and none of the people involved deserve any real reward. So I'm going to go with Derby. All right, I'm with you. I'll take Derby as well. Uh, you convinced me into Derby there, and also I know a very good microbrewery nearby. Uh, these things matter as well. Okay then, uh, Rory Smith. This is the year of the coach. It's interesting that with these two sides meeting this week, uh, Brendan Rodgers wanted more goals. He didn't get bought more goals. He has coached more goals into his football team. 
Yeah, well, you know, funny enough, I was having this conversation with someone at, at lunchtime, and I think what's interesting about Rogers, and, and I realise that criticising him or saying anything very negative is, um, is, is sort of against the tide. His buys haven't been uniformly fantastic. I think that's fair to say. He's not he's not shown a real mastery of the transfer market. A couple of incredible signings, uh, but the, the balance is probably against him in the transfer market. So what he's basically had to do is make the players he's got better because the Yardo Aspas isn't in the straw goals for you. Uh, so it, that's what he's had, that, that's what he's done so well is he's got he's got far more out of out of the players at his disposal. And as much as obviously all the talk's been about Suarez and Gerrard and kind of Sturridge a little bit before maybe it's tailed off a little bit now. I think the player who best epitomises why Liverpool are at top of the league is Jordan Henderson, because of the, impro- the improvement in Henderson is absolutely staggering, and and that is the, the tale of this season. It's a season when coaching has defined the, defined the title race effectively. And so, but therefore, would we say that you know Rodgers and Martinez sit on one side of a divide, on the other is possibly is obviously David Moyes, uh, possibly uh, Pellegrini, maybe Mourinho. Would you say that that's the way in which this has played out? I'm not, I'm not sure if you can, you can accuse any of, any of them of being bad coaches necessarily. I don't, know, I, I don't think that's true. I think that they are more maybe concerned with system than individual improvement. I think that they are coaches of that ilk where, where system comes first and structure comes first and the, the individuals slot into that, whereas Rodgers is maybe more of a... I don't, I don't know what the word would well, be. That, my, my, my argument on this, Rory, is that there's, there's, there's the coaches who turn up and coach and make the footballers better footballers and then there's the coaches who turn up and coach and make the footballers more likely to get the result they need at the weekend and in one corner of them is for instance the latter is Mourinho is Moyes is Benitez many of these people we have to point out have lots and lots of shiny things that they can yeah. that they can point at i.e. We, we got the results that we wanted and we have the shiny cups to prove it and yet on the other side with only one FA Cup so far to show between them you've got Rodgers and you've got Martinez who seemingly have turned up with the attitude of we're going to turn these individual players into better players, so it's that difference between sort of the sort of outcome-based coaches and, and coaches who are much more sort of process-based. Yeah, and also I, I think the other difference is that, that I think the strength of Martinez and Rogers is, is maybe coaching the individual, whereas someone like Mourinho or Benitez, they have always emphasised the collective. That, that that what comes first is the collective, and what what you get when you when you have a like a truly great manager, I think, or a truly great team, and it's it's. It's an example that's at the forefront of my mind because of the news in, in, in Spain that Tito Villanova has died, is that, that when you had Guardiola and Villanova working together, Pep did all of the kind of the, the big picture stuff, the kind of collective, um, the collective coaching, essentially, the system, the structure, and Villanova was the guy who did the, the actual individual coaching who made sure the players were at the top of their game, and that was how that worked. Yeah. What, one's not necessarily better than the other, and it's not the case that one is more important than the other. As Rodgers is showing, you can have a, a coach who can really improve players on an individual level in a team environment that's maybe not quite clicked 100% yet. I mean, Liverpool still have flaws. If you, if you look at the performance that Chelsea offered against Atletico Madrid, that was a consummate team performance that Liverpool could not produce. I mean, they don't have the players to do it, and I don't think they've got the cohesion to do it. Um, whereas Chelsea maybe have got that collective side of things, but they don't quite have the individual kind of improvement that they need across the board. And so I, I guess there's, it's, there's loads of different ways to, to go about football. That's why it's brilliant. Rory, it's Rob. Sorry, hi. Sorry, mate, Rory, I, I, I take your point, but surely what Martinez and Rogers have, have shown is uh, 
their whole is better than uh, the sum of the parts. I, I think they're the consummate uh, team motivators and developers. I agree with you totally. What the, the work on the individuals like Jordan Henderson, Raheem Sterling's progress has been accelerated. But, but what they've done eclipses the likes of what a Mourinho or a Benitez would do in terms of some of the parts. Don't you th- am I oh, am I oh, I'm crazy? I think I think it's probably. I, I take your point, and I think there's no question that both both teams are are doing better than yeah than the some of the parts would suggest they should do. Everton and Liverpool alike, and also I mean, if you look at Palace, that's another great example of a team that is more than the sum of its parts because of good quality coaching in a different way. Because what Pulis does is work a lot on on organisation and off-the-ball stuff. He, he makes sure that they are set up perfectly off-the-ball and then that creates, the, I guess, the foundation for them to um, to go ahead and exp- the, the, the two or three players they have who can express themselves in, in a way that's not just a tackle um, to go and express themselves, people like Jason Punchin. So I think it's, it's, it's a difficult subject because I think coaching to a lot of people remains a mystery almost. That we don't really know. Like, what's Rogers doing to, to improve Jordan Henderson? What's he done? Is it... Is it specific exercises? Is it sort of a specific kind of program of, of emphasising certain aspects of his game? Is it tactical? Is it to do with shape? Is it to do with position? Is it to do with mentality? And if that sounds like the sort of thing a journalist should know, what I will say is that all managers are incredibly secretive with how they work with their players. It's impossible to get that information out of them. And as soon as you speak to people in football about what they actually do in training, Everyone gets very, oh, well, that's got something to do with the moment. I better, I better crack <laughs> on. And, it's, and it, it's because it's secret knowledge that they don't want to give their, their kind of competitors, their opponents, any, any, any hints or tips. So I agree with you to an extent, Rob, that, that I think there is a collective benefit to the individual work that Rogers and Martinez have done. But I'm, I think what comes first is the individual improvement. I think they're more like teachers, in a sense, whereas so a Mourinho or a Benitez is, is, a, is a builder. He's looking to to build an edifice, whereas what Rogers and Martinez are doing is getting players to express themselves within a structure. And I think there's a slight, possibly slightly semantic difference in those two things. Rory, I, my, 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 my hunch of this is, is that it's hugely psychological. And I think he's, in, although I think, I think on, the, on the level you're discussing is absolutely correct, he's working with people on, the, on a technical level and he's boosting their individual confidence. I, I think he's making the group, to use one of his expressions, believe in the whole and in the project. I think we, we can hark back to the, con- the contribution percentage level of Steve Peters, but I think he has... This reminds me of my, of my youth and when we had managers like, like Clough and we had apocryphal tales about Shankly who were able to get things out of well, players who shouldn't have, well, have reached that level. It's and it's psycho- though, it? psychology is a huge factor. It's buy-in though, isn't it, Rob? I mean, that's the key thing. The key, for instance, the key David Moyes thing this season is that he's he's dreadful and he's David Moyes and he's doing lots of David Moyes things hmm. and then by Munich turn up at Old Trafford and suddenly he's got complete buy-in from every player because they can understand why he's got them doing X, Y and Z because they're playing by Munich and that's what Rodgers has had isn't it all the way through has grown you've seen it grow on the pitch the players have bought in more and more and more and more and that's the, you know, that's the sort of what you're looking at is it's as much I understand he's psychologically liberating them but, but they're buying in to the work they do day to day you can see Steven Gerrard's bought in more and more as it's wore, sure. wore on and I think that's the key thing is, is as a manager is going Pulis has got enormous buy-in from those lads at Crystal Palace, which is a ludicrous level of buy-in because they've seen the benefit of the hard work of everything that he's showing them. And I think that that's the key thing they've got to look to do, isn't it? Get that buy.
buy-in and then the players relax, grow, improve. Yeah, he's offered, uh, Rogers has offered them a, a package, a package you're describing of, of, of tactics, intent, psychology. Uh, the difference with Moyes and the reason you got that performance in, in Bayern Munich is they were able to... F- Rodgers and, and, and Sir Steve Peters have talked about um, the one-game-at-a-timeism. And uh, Bayern, Bayern United in Bayern Munich is, is the epitome of that. Those lads who are confused as to whether they're meant to play like champions, whether they're over a seat, how they're meant to progress, were suddenly focused. They knew whatever had gone before, there was one game that they could redeem themselves in. Now, Rodgers is genius in inverted commas is that he's made Liverpool feel like that in every single game but they talk about batches of games Rodgers has talked about batches of games yeah. as fives as well which I think is also interesting it really, you know this idea that instead they're looking at these games as though you know you, you get X amount of points from this batch of five X amount of points from this batch of five and that takes simultaneously the, the smaller more bite sized goals and therefore one defeat doesn't feel like the end of the world if the aim is being get 11 points from that batch of five yeah, well, I suspect there's quite a lot of fans who probably look at games in that way as well, don't they? I mean, we again, you speak to players, and a lot of them will will say they don't look at the table, they don't look at the fixture list, and you'd be amazed at how many footballers have no idea who they're going to play in the next couple of weeks. It's, <laughs> it's remarkable. I know a couple who who have gone to grounds not being entirely certain who the opposition are. <laughs> so, and, and and then you you'll get others, such as Joe Hart, a couple of weeks ago, who said that he you know he could recite Man City's fixture list. He could tell you exactly who they were playing and when. So can we. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Which, is, which is what most fans do I'm sure everyone's at the stage of the season where they're going through the table I think Rob's right about the psychology and I think an underestimated almost part of what a manager has to do essentially is sell an idea to players and to the fans and that, that is it sounds like a criticism to suggest that someone like Rogers or Martinez is a salesman but that's what they are they have to sell their concept their vision to the fans and to the players and to everyone at the club and if you can't sell it very well, and that's what happened to Moyes at United, that no one was really sure what he was selling. He kind of knocked on your door with like some pegs and some, and some plots and didn't really <laughs> offer you anything. No one knew what, what, what he was doing there. What was he trying to do? Whereas Rodgers, has, he, he's, a, he's a consummate salesman, and Mourinho's a consummate salesman. But the, and that is crucial to the players. The one difference that I, I find really interesting is that that generation of, kind of Mourinho, Benitez, those managers... They tended, and they still do, you'll see Mourinho's whinging constantly about, about negative things, about why, why, teams, why his team can't do something, why there's a conspiracy about this, that, or the other, why his squad is that. Rodgers and Martinez don't do that at all. Yeah. At no you know point, I mean? to the, they don't do that at any stage. They've not done that nope. at any stage. When they could have done, they haven't done that at exactly. all. Exactly. Like, I mean, I, I have a huge amount of respect for Rafa. I, 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 I know him and I like him. Uh, and that kind of partisanship has to be admitted. But Rafa does talk a lot, generally, about the fact that you know he needs to improve, and it's because he wants to have the perfect squad, and he you know he wants to kind of take take the team to the next level, and that's not necessarily a, a bad personality trait. But what Rogers did, Rogers could have winged constantly about the fact that you know Liverpool got got much less money than everybody else, and Martinez, I mean, being an Everton manager for the last eleven years, meant complaining about how poor your resources were. Martinez <laughs> hasn't thought about that. But you're on a small club, don't forget. And that's the key thing. The other thing I wanted to talk about here, Rory, today was just the word pragmatic. That the word pragmatic, I've noticed it's got played a few times in the last uh, last couple of weeks, last three four weeks. The word pragmatic doesn't equal defensive. Um, Jimmy emailed today and he said Chelsea have only conceded seven goals in their last sixteen in their sixteen games this calendar year. 
Uh, but my immediate response to that was to say, but they haven't picked up Liverpool's points. And if Liverpool Liverpool have been equivalent to that sort of form, but in attack, and they've got the points. And if the boot was on the other foot, everyone would say Liverpool haven't been pragmatic enough. They'd say, well, you've got these goals, lads, but you haven't been pragmatic enough at the back. Why don't we use pragmatic to discuss a, par- a paucity of attacking play? But you know, it's the same with like mediocre. If I, exactly. If, if, if I say something's mediocre, then, then you're often, oh, that's terrible. But... I mean, I've got in trouble with this before for saying Rogers is a good manager, and apparently that's not enough. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it has to be—you have to be sort of effusive in your praise. No, I agree with you. Pragmatic, to me, should mean taking whatever is the simplest route to victory for you that suits you. And so, for Liverpool, can't defend like Chelsea because their defenders aren't as good as Chelsea. So they have to go and score more goals than everybody else. That's being pragmatic for Liverpool. You accept your limitations and your flaws. And you work around them. And so Chelsea's performance in Madrid was pragmatic because they, they worried that if they went toe to toe with Atletico, they might concede. But it wasn't pragmatic because it was defensive. It was just pragmatic because that was the best way to get that result. So no, I, I'm fully on board with you, Neil, as, as always. The other, the, other, <laughs> the, the other thing that I want to do on this then is how pragmatic will Chelsea be against Liverpool, i.e. the pragmatism of we've got one trophy win and if we play well tw- two more times, we realistically win that trophy. We've got another trophy where if we play well twice in three games, we almost certainly don't win that trophy. He's talking about resting people and all that sort of stuff. You've observed him much closer than I have. How much pragmatism are you expecting? Well, I'm not, I think this idea that they'll put out a sort of ridiculously weak side is, is just a non-starter. Just, I think the six players that are either suspended or ineligible for the Atletico game anyway, who will all start... I mean, there's no reason not to play Matic, Mikel, Lampard... Salah. Salah. You might as well play Schürrle, because if you're assuming Hazard, Willian and Oscar are all fit for Atletico, Schürrle's not going to start, so he can play. You can then play Torres or Barr, because Eti will probably be fit. You can play Ashley Cole... I would suggest that Mark Schwarzer might need a bit of practice at being a goalkeeper again, because he's not done it for so long. And to be honest, I'd, I'd be inclined, if I, in Mourinho's position, I understand the argument against it, but to play Ivanovic and Cahill at centre-back, just in case Cahill's not fit, uh, just in case Terry's not fit, so that they're used to it, you know, they're better organised against Atletico. So I think it, it won't be Chelsea's strongest team, and it will definitely be a sufficiently weak team for Mourinho in perpetuity, should the result not go his way, to claim that Chelsea had to put out the kids against Liverpool and potentially, if Rodgers annoys him, to claim that Liverpool's title wasn't valid because Mike Riley screwed it up for Chelsea, uh, not the home defeat to Sunderland. That's irrelevant. Um, <laughs> the, so I'm, I'm sure it will be weak enough for Mourinho to give himself an excuse. And if you read Diego Torres' book about his time in Madrid, Mourinho thinks a lot about giving himself an excuse. But I don't think it will be a weak team at all. I think it will be a strong side. It might not be a strongest, but it will be a strong side. Uh, and I think that they will present a very real threat to Liverpool, to be perfectly honest. OK, we'll talk more about after that, that. So blah, blah, blah. We'll talk more about that after the break with Rob, with Jim, with John. Uh, very, very quickly, everyone noticed this this week. Everyone remembers that Shankly said he wants to build Liverpool up and up until everyone would have to submit and give in. But he started that quote by saying, my idea, my idea was to build Liverpool into a bastion of invincibility. Had Napoleon had that idea, he would have conquered the bloody world. I wanted Liverpool to be untouchable. My idea was to build Liverpool up and up until eventually everyone would have to submit and give in. In. Rather sounds like he thought he took a project on. He might even have had a philosophy. This is the Anfield Rap City Talk 105.9. The Anfield Rap on City Talk 105.9. It is, it is the Anfield Rap City Talk 105.9. We're careering towards the end of the show. I was just discussing my league winning haircut with Rob Gutman. Got it done. Thought I needed to do for lifting the trophy and all that sort of stuff. So I've uh, nailed that this week. Uh, everyone's got to get a league winning plan together as to what it is that you're up to. Uh, we heard from Rory there. Rob, what do we expect from Chelsea? It's a difficult position they're in, actually. They, for once, he actually deserves it. If he, if he wasn't the boy who cried wolf as often as he cries wolf, you'd say he deserves a little bit of sympathy. 
I have no sympathy for Jose, but I do think people slightly misread him. Um, I don't think he's he, I don't think he's throwing a curveball that he's faking it and he's playing as as uh, Paul Haywood said this uh, I think this morning in the Independent that he's playing possum. I think he is going to send out a relatively, and relatively you've got to underline, weak Chelsea side. And I do think, I don't think... He, the key question to defence, we can pick the up yes, the Yes, exactly. The defence is the key question. John Terry is going to be out. He's certainly not going to be risked at Anfield, that's a certainty. Um, and so he's, so he's basically, the four he's going to put at Anfield, he either puts his first choice, the same four he's going to play uh, in the second leg in the biggest game of their season, or he rests a couple of them. And I think he's going to bring Aki and, and Kalas I think I think he'll 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 half cock it and in midfield people go oh, it's a strong Chelsea side but uh, Frank Lampard is not the Frank Lampard of yore he's played uh, 54 55% of Chelsea games the season started Obi Mikel is not a starter Van Ginkel may But he did play. start him in Madrid he did start in Madrid only because he wanted five centre mids <laughs> but, uh, and three left backs notwithstand, notwithstanding so look Jose could go, I'm going to go to Anfield, I, I think the odds are against us, I'm going to dog it out, park the bus, do a Sam Allardyce, and see if I can mug them off the bench with, with a Torres in the last 10 minutes. And if we don't, we don't. I've, as Rory said, he's the consumer, uh, what's the word, prescriber of the narrative. He wants, he, he wants it written that this season they didn't have a fair crack at the league because the FA made the, the fixtures too difficult because Liverpool didn't have a European campaign to contend with. He wants it now put to bed. And that's why I've got a hunch he may go a little bit more whole hog than people think and put out a considerably weakened side. And this is all good news. Uh, Jim Bowman, do you agree with that or do you think that we're, we're, we're up against a difficult Chelsea team? I think we'll be, it'll be a difficult team. For one thing, they can, they can put a more difficult team out anyway, as we know they've got more players. Defence-wise, I think, at this stage of the season, you put players out, everyone's fighting for things. I mean, if you, you what we might call an Istanbul spirit, you just find some strength from somewhere. And I, I think defence-wise, he'll have the same team um, as he wants to play in the midweek game again, in the Champions League. So however strong he can go, he'll go. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, he, I mean, the goalkeeper conceded seven goals against us last season. Yeah, that that's a weak thing they can't do much about. But where they can, I think they'll go as strong as they can. Uh, John, I'm actually more concerned about Bar than I am Torres. You know, as an example of the fact that he can change it, but he can still be stronger. I'd rather face Torres than face than face Bar. I think I think it's pretty much of a muchness to be honest with you. I think I think I think if a chance fell to fell to Bar, then you'd fancy him to put it away more than Torres would in current form. But I think Torres has got more more to his game, and you kind of worry about you know to go back to the narrative thing about about you know Torres Torres scoring the goal. So. I mean, whoever they, whoever they go for, is, you know, is 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 a better striker than the Mourinho makes out that they've got, and I think that's the that's the point of this whole thing is whatever team they put out, it's a good team, it's an expensive team, they're all on lots of money, and they're all paid to play so, for Chelsea. So we just blow, we just blow them away. Oh yeah, we? we'll just win. Well, I think motivation is the key thing here. That's what people we can overfocus on the team. Uh, Chelsea, not a Mourinho Chelsea, but I think. Uh, was Di Matteo Chelsea came to Liverpool in two two years ago, having beaten us in the FA Cup, but with the Champions League uh, final pending, and it was a pretty strong Chelsea side. A couple, a few changes. Uh, the but lack of motivation they, was key. They this played most... like they'd been on the ale for three exactly. days. <laughs> let's let's not get it wrong. Think... Let's not get it wrong. And I don't want to be t- accused of tempting fate here. But this is going to be the most motivated Liverpool team in a quarter of a century. <laughs> well, notwithstanding Istanbul. Mot- so let's... Yeah. motivation's re- the real yeah. key point here. I, in terms of Chelsea, I'm not I'm not interested really in what team they put out. I'm more interested in in their mindset and how they approach exactly, it. Jobby. And I don't know what Mourinho is saying to them. You know, he's he's saying that oh, they can't win the league, but he's probably saying different things. 
things. I'm more interested in. in I, I don't care who starts for Chelsea. I'm not. I'm not really going to look too much into it. I'm just going to see first few minutes whether they fancy or not and if they don't we'll batter them whoever's on the pitch for yeah, them I agree we shouldn't care who they're playing we're, we're good enough to beat them I think we're better than them at the moment and and if he's giving any kind of that vibe to them in, in real life to what, he, to what he's saying to the papers and the press um, they're going to be beaten before they even get here uh, the crowd should certainly see to that as well what are we expecting from Rodgers' tricky reds then uh, very quickly we're all expecting Sturridge to start yeah, Sturridge for Lucas so. no I don't think Sturridge will start. start I don't think there's a prayer of that to be honest do you not no the way he's talking we need Brendan doesn't tend to over-egg this. He's going, we need to give Sturridge another 24 hours. He tends to, I think he tends to be optimistic in his press conference about whether people make it, and then you find they don't. He's not one who's, who's playing it cagey. If he's saying there's another 24 hours, it means he's genuinely 50-50. Sturridge himself, in his pronouncements this week, has talked about coming off the bench. I don't even think he'll make the bench. If you I, ask I, me to bet on it. I think he'll make the bench, and I think that's where he'll be, because I think Rogers will have been working all week with the plays he knows are definitely fit, and though you've got Sturridge on the bench as an option later on just to finish him off. I got off Sacco, Jim Bowman. Um, I'd say Sacco. Uh, Rob Gutman, quick. Sacco, definitely. Uh, he'll play Sacco. He'll play Sacco. Okay, then very, very quickly, then I want predictions from you. Uh, we're going to go... Ooh, you're all looking away from me. John Gibbons first. 4-1 Liverpool. 4-1 Liverpool. Yeah. That's mine as well, John. That was uh, mine too. Is that yeah, yours as well? Yeah. Three, three are going 4-1. Um, Jim, what are you going to go? I was thinking between 3-1 and 4-1, so what the heck? I'll just, I'll just join the rest. It's definitely going to happen now. Well, this, so, is, yeah. this is quite a relief that it's going to be 4-1. <laughs> this is, just took yeah, all is, the weight oh, off absolutely everybody with Liverpool's flexibility oh, coming up in the next... Easy. Indeed, indeed, with Liverpool, with Chelsea coming at the weekend. Uh, there was some breaking news while we've done the show. Tito Villanova has died. He's lost his cancer battle, aged 45. Uh, there's a statement from FC Barcelona. Uh, FC Barcelona is in immense mourning. Tito Villanova has died at the age of 45. May he rest in peace. This is the Anfield Wrap on City Talk 105.9.